So last week, we went through what it means to be ashamed. We have certainly all experienced that. Let me share a brief story about myself to start this out. When I had first come to the faith, I had come, I wasn't coming, I didn't come from a Reformed background. I shared briefly last week that, if anything, it came from a pseudo-Christian, maybe confessing what it meant to be a Christian, scare quotes, Christian. I was part of, you know, mainstream Christianity. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but honestly, I couldn't say that I was. If anything, I would be more of what Stephen Sharnock described as a practical atheist for a good portion of my life. I went in the military, got out of the military, and went through a pretty rough time after I got out of the military. Uh, To the extent where I was so rebellious, I decided to live on a friend's back porch instead of just go home and be with my family. Almost the prodigal son-like attitude. I'd rather live in this horrible state than go home and have to admit that I failed. And then I came to the faith in 1999, late 1999. I was connected to a Calvary Chapel in California where a number of people were pastors, people you might know. If you're familiar with Living Waters, you might know names like Mark Spence, Emile Zwayne, or otherwise known as EZ. Ray Comfort, you might know these people. Well, Mark Spence and EZ were my pastors. And now they currently head up uh, Living Waters, one of the most popular outreach um, ministries on YouTube and beyond. Uh, they just reached over 100, it was a million plus subscribers on their channel. And they are actively involved in equipping people to evangelize. Well, I joined this church. I had no idea who these people were. I just thought it was normal Christianity to head out to Santa Monica 6th Street to open air preach. This is normal. This is what, this is what Christians do. Well, okay then. We're going to study the Bible, and we're going to go do the preaching thing. I thought that was what we did. Most Christians would look at me like I was out of my mind. I thought that was perfectly normal, because that's what these men did. Every week they went out, we got together, we'd meet on a Friday or Saturday, you go to Huntington Beach, you go to Santa Monica 6th Street. I went to, I lived in a fraternity row at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and uh, that's where we went. We met, had our little prayer meeting, and we went out and we we, we evangelized the lost. Uh, and I took for granted that that's actually not really normal. When I say normal, I mean in the sense of that wasn't what mainstream Christianity at most people experience would do. Matter of fact, again, like I said, they looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> Maybe we were a little bit. Now, I held to a position that it was left up to me really to convince people that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. I held to a position that I needed to use evidences persuasive argument in order to convince people that they needed to come to Christ, that they were lost, indeed lost, and that God's word was the authority in all matters of life and faith, and I was to prove that to be the case. Have any of you experienced that? Well, I went through a period of time for for many, many years evangelizing the lost, going out to doing this outreach, and to my dismay, I saw very few people ever come forward ever profess Christ as Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, I got a lot more pushback, made a lot more enemies than I ever had anticipated. I used to sit in a coffee shop and would just read my Bible. I was just doing the Christian thing, man. I had just come to the faith. I had, you know, if if I'm a Christian, I better get acquainted with this book. You know, they call the Bible. And so I read it. I read it and I read it and read it and read it and read it. And I would do that. That would be my daily routine, almost daily. And I would, uh, people would come by me. It never failed. There would always be that one guy who, you know, they pass by and go, hey, what are you reading? <laughs> like, the Bible. And they're like, oh, why are you reading that? And then they would begin to challenge me. 
and in some cases, shred me. And my response was, well, uh, man, those are a lot of really great questions. Honestly, I'm a new Christian. Don't really know a lot about what you're talking about. But I have these pastors, Mark and Easy, that I would go back and ask them questions. Hey, I'll get back to you in a couple weeks. Can I have your phone number? We can just meet here next week this time if that, that works out for you. I'm going to have to go study that out. I have no idea what you're talking about. From atheists to Muslims to the L.A. Church of Christ, if you guys know who that is. Man, they're rough. Uh, Mormons, you name it, Jehovah's Witnesses. I got pummeled at this coffee shop. And so I would go back and we would work on ways to defend the faith, right? Because we wanted to be faithful. And then I would sit down and have these, cons- these discussions with them. And over time, I got more and more trashed, just pummeled. And I'm like, what in the world? When I heard the gospel, I believed. What's so hard about it? This is God's word. What he says is true. I was that simple of a faith. A little bit about myself you might not be aware of. I was a straight thug. I was a drug dealer and a party animal. I truly lived the motto, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Man, I was running headlong into hell. As hard as I could go, as fast as I could go. Meanwhile, calling myself, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then, to my shame, I was invited to a Bible study one night. Some of you might know this story. You laugh, some others might not. I was like, yeah, I'll go to the Bible study. What was my motivation? The guy who invited me said, yeah, my cousins and family members go to this church. This is the church where Mark and Easy went, right? They go to this church and there's a, bro, there's a bunch of hot chicks that go there. You should totally go. I'm like, oh yeah, for sure I'm in. You can count me in on that one, right? So I'm like, I'm in. Of course I'm going to go there. What I got to lose? Sweet church girls, I'm going to go there and hang out there. And by the way, that's happening in churches today to this day. I was that guy, ladies and gentlemen. I walked into this church. This pastor was doing a study. Pastor Trent, still a very good friend of mine. And he stops in the middle of his study. Now they're a little charismatic, but bear with me. Calvary Chapel. For all of you know, the Calvary Chapel, they tend to be a little more charismatic, but I appreciated this dude so this day. He sets his Bible down in the middle of the study, and I'm sitting in the back, I'm like, what is this? I don't want to be here, but I was stuck in the middle of the back row. And he goes, you know what? I don't know why, but I sense like the Lord's leading me to share the gospel right now. And the dude's staring directly at me. And I'm like, why is he looking at me? Why does he sense the need to share the gospel now? Why is he stopping the study? Can't we just get this done? I want to go. And he shares. And ladies and gentlemen, my life was changed. I had heard it before, but not quite like that. There was something that changed in my mind. There was something that changed in my heart. My eyes were open and my ears heard. And I was changed. I had never been the same again. Have I stumbled and struggled? Certainly. But something changed. I went, I'm going to hell, bro. I am going to hell. I deserve hell. And the only hope that I have is in, the, in Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on my behalf. That's my only hope. Lord, save me. My heart cried out. And it was a simple gospel message. And they have this thing called the afterglow at the end of the service. If you guys are familiar with Calvary Chapel, they play music afterwards. People stay along and they pray and then they kind of dim the lights a little bit, right? So as people were leaving, the dude who wanted to bail and was just looking for every opportunity but really couldn't, I didn't want to make a huge scuffle because I was trapped in the middle of the aisle. I, I go from the middle of the aisle and I fall prostrate on my face and I cry out to God to save me. My life was changed and it's never been the same. I went home a few days later, tripping. What do I do? I'm a Christian now. I was supposed to get this next uh, you know, delivery of drugs. 
selling weed, right? I was supposed to get my next little weed, uh, you know, delivery. I called my dealer. I said, hey, bro, I'm not doing that anymore. He's like, what? What is the matter with you? Well, uh, I, uh, I'm a Christian now. I don't, that's just, I'm not doing that anymore. What do you mean you're a Christian? What are you talking about? And then he proceeded to threaten my life, telling me he's going to kill me if I didn't continue on because I meant a lot of money to him. And then I lost a bunch of friends who I used to smoke with and hang out with. And then there was this one time at the very, close to the very end, these chain of friends that I had that slowly but surely left me because they wanted nothing to do with me anymore because it just wasn't cool anymore. But I'm preaching the gospel to them and I got real lame real quick. Man, I was a bro. I was blowing it, just blowing their vibe, right? At the very end, I was hanging out with a friend. This friend of mine I had spent years with, years. We would meet at a bar called Group Therapy. In your blend, I think it's still there. The bar Group Therapy. We met there and we hung out and we would drink our beers and smoke our weed. That was our thing. Just catch up on life, okay? We hung out all the time, like weekly. Sometimes many times throughout the week. He was my homie, right? One day we're sitting at the bar, and I'm not kidding you. He, he goes, hey, man, you're different, bro. What's the matter with you, bro? You stopped selling me. I was like one of his number one suppliers. He was so mad at me that I stopped doing it. But at least I was still smoking, though. That, that was okay. And then it got to the point where I'm like, nah, it's not okay. I shouldn't probably do that anymore. So I'm drinking beers with him. And he goes, you know what? You're different, man. Something's wrong with you. What do you what's this whole Christianity thing? What's this all about? What, what happened to you, bro? And I'm like, well, uh, I, I'm just, I told him, I'm like, I went to this church one night and I heard the gospel preached, bro, and I'm changed. Like, I, 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 don't, I can't quite explain it. He goes, yeah, yeah, you know what? I noticed you don't cuss anymore. I'm like, well, so what, bro? We're hanging out, we're chilling, we're drinking beer, so what? He's like, come on, man, say the F word. And he just kept saying it. I'm like, why are you trying to get me to say the, listen to how stupid you sound. You're literally trying to get me to say the F word over and over again. You sound ridiculous, bro. You should see yourself. He's like, why won't you say it? He was so mad at me. I told him, well, I, honestly, man, like I have no desire to say those things anymore. Those are horrible words. And it wasn't like I was like this legalist. I was just like, I just, that's a horrible word. Think about what you're saying, right? He's like, gone. Stopped hanging out with me. That was the last I ever saw him. Crazy, right? Years and years and years of spending time with him. I lost friends. Then I went cage stage like I brought up last week where I got all crazy. Blue family members out. You, some of you have experienced this before. But I saw it as my mission. I needed to convince people. And I needed to convince people no matter the cost. I lost everything. And I mean everything. And I read the Bible. I'm like, yep, that's what Jesus said would happen. But I was missing something. For years, I was missing something. I had been trained by these amazing people. Guys, I went to Harvest Crusades, okay? And I'm sitting in these Harvest Crusades and watching Greg Laurie preach. If anybody knows who that is, I think he preaches pretty well. And uh, to my amazement, thousands of people would go down to the altar call. Thousands and thousands. And I'm like, I would sit back there condemned in my heart. Condemned. Why? Because I'm like, bro, I'm doing the way of the Master. I'm reading the Bible. I go out with my bros. We preach the Gospel. I am trying to do the best that I can to convince these people that Christ is Lord. And they don't listen to me. But Greg Laurie preaches for 20 minutes and thousands by the thousands just flood this field. I'm like, I am such a loser. No fruit. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Bro, I'm studying this stuff up. Man, I got the evidences down. 
I could argue anyone into the ground right now. Man, I'm ready. Come on, bring it. Bring forth your strong reasoning, right? You know the attitude, right? You're like, come on, I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. He has changed me. You need to hear this. You need to believe this. If you don't believe this, you're a fool. And my heart started changing. I started getting a little bit more bitter over time. And I got to the point where I was fully blown out, you guys. And I'm talking like an eight-year blowout. Like, I'm probably not even a Christian. Nobody cares. Nobody loves the Lord. And then, a little while later, after getting rebuked by a very close friend for not being the spiritual leader of my household, and asking him, bro, I just shared my heart. I'm like, you know, I shared a lot of what I'm sharing right now with you guys. Just being honest. Bro, I don't know. Like, I, I shared the gospel, and I'm really struggling, bro. Like, I, I have a heart and a passion to want to honor the Lord in my life and share the good news of the kingdom. But no one cares. No one's turned. I see contrasts in my life of thousands of people giving their life to the faith. And he laughed at me. He goes, oh, yeah, bro. Well, that's baloney. <laughs> that's mostly baloney. And this is at the same time when I was being exposed to Reformed theologians. Why is it baloney? He's like, well, think about it, man. Like, you're fighting with, like, a little, like, letter opener. It's all about you. That letter opener is nothing. You need to use the Word of God. You need to stand upon it. Hey, man, I want to share a, a, uh, a um, theologian with you that I think you might really appreciate. His name's Greg Bonson. Here's a lecture series, 22 lectures, defending the Christian worldview against all opposition. And it was right at this time when I had... Uh, stupidly decided I'm you know my heart is really like overwhelmed I really want to just I want to talk to people I want to engage again and so I started reconnecting and re-engaging I went to Mark Spence's Facebook page and all these people are of course pummeling him every post that he puts up you know hundreds of people respond and there's this one atheist in there who's just wrecking him and Mark's not Mark's not even acknowledging him he's just ignoring him and I'm like well nobody else is talking to him maybe I will so I go, hey man, like uh, you know, I'm, I private message him because I'm too much of a coward to say it publicly. Hey man, um, I uh, I think you have a lot of really great questions, and I would love to talk to you about them if you're if you're interested. I I have I'm familiar with some of these things. He's like, oh yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll talk to you. Hey, I'm a host of a radio uh, atheist radio called the Skeptics, the Miami Skeptics. I would love to do an interview with you. And I'm like, oh, what if I got? Are you kidding me? Of all the people, I just wanted to have a simple conversation with you. Okay, I'll do it because I don't want to be a coward, right? And I, he brought me onto this show, guys, and proceeded to train wreck me. The guy had more questions and stuff I've never heard before. Things that I had never been exposed to. And I was so broken. I'm like, here we go again. I don't even know how to answer this guy. And then that was when my buddy said, listen to Greg Bonson. So I listened to him. I go on a plane trip. I fly out, I actually see Mark Spence's kids be baptized, right? And I'm sitting before Mark Spence, and I am weeping. And he was like, what happened? I'm like, bro, I discovered Reformed apologetics, presuppositional apologetics. I discovered it, man. It's amazing. And I'm like sharing it with him. Why was I so amazed? I had discovered that I had been doing it wrong for years. What was I depending upon? myself and my own wisdom. It was the very thing that we read from 1 Corinthians this morning, right? I was dependent upon my own wisdom. I was trying to address the world's wisdom, which we know it's so-called or falsely so-called wisdom. All the Scriptures. So as a Calvary, you guys know, Calvary Chapel, anybody been to Calvary Chapel? We were students of the Bible. So much so, biblicists, we didn't even study you know, commentaries because those could lead you astray, right? We were hardcore biblicists. We read the Bible. Now, I was a student of the Bible, 
I knew the Bible, and you know what, what, what really bothered me? Is I saw the Apostle Paul, I saw Peter, and these guys are just shredding people, and what were they using? The Bible. With boldness. It says at the end, right, of, of Acts, as we read last week. It's our church motto. We want to be like Paul. We want to be proclaiming the, 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 the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without hindrance and with all boldness. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's what we see in Paul. That's what we see in the disciples. Yet, I lack that. And I'm sure you guys have all felt this way in some way, right? We all have. Why do we lack it? We fail to stand on the word of God as our authority. We don't trust it. We're ashamed of it, as I taught last week, right? We almost feel the need of like, uh, let me kind of ease you into this. Let me do some pre-evangelistic work here. And kind of slowly but surely try to build the bridge to a point where you begin to trust it as the Word of God. But then what do you find you having in trouble with? I'm having a hard time trying to prove that to them. When I heard these lecture series, it was as though all of the parts had finally come together. The things that I had seen in Scripture, all this time I was lacking. And it was this one verse, guys, that I'm talking about that I preached on last week and I'm going to preach, we're going to conclude today. And it is, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is... The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power. Not my persuasive speech. Not my my awesome wisdom. Not my PhDs. Not my ability to argue well. It is the power of God for the gospel. Not my relationships. Not my life. Right? Not the way I live. It is the power of God for salvation. So how can we now, let's just ask ourselves the hard question, how can we, with the Apostle Paul, so boldly say we're not ashamed of the Gospel? That's the question I wanted to answer for myself. And I believed that I discovered that in this understanding. And I believe the shame for Paul, in this instance, is predicated on a misunderstanding of the instrumental nature of the Gospel, that it is the power. When I say instrumental, it's how God has chosen to work in and through us. It's how God has chosen to work in the foolishness, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what was read this morning, the foolish things of the world by a foolish message, right? It is one of the hardest things to share with people. Hey, by the way, you have a king. You owe your allegiance to him. You're going to have to bow the knee to him one day. By the way, every idle word, thought, and deed will be held into an account, and um, it's not going to go well for you if you don't bow the knee now and confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's to the world the most obnoxious, foolish, stupid thing you could ever say to them. How dare you say that to me? Oh, yeah, he's your king. It doesn't matter if you like that or not. Think about that. Let's dive in here real quick and see if I can help you not be ashamed of his word anymore. Let's dive in here real quick to see if I can help encourage you as to why uh, it is the power of God for salvation. Let's see. So to be ashamed of the gospel really is to misunderstand the power of God that attends the gospel. Okay? To be unashamed means one understands the power that attends the gospel. Let me repeat that. To be ashamed is to misunderstand the power of God that attends it. Just listen to that. To be unashamed means one understands the power of God that attends the gospel. So what power, in that sense, is in view here? What, what's the power? Right. That's the hard question that we need to, to really come to grips with to try to better understand as we work through this text. Well... It's the same power that Scripture describes elsewhere about God. The same power. One in his creative ability. Think about the creation account. What does it say? He spoke all things into existence, and it was. That's pretty powerful. Would you agree? 
Very powerful. God can just speak things into existence. It says that he upholds and sustains us by what? In Hebrews, you can finish it, all you know, by the word of his power. Like, interesting enough, our DNA, words, <laughs> code. You're sustained by the, by the living word of God, inescapably. He also has power over the world and in carrying out his providential will in history. Nothing can come against it. The same power that spoke all things into existence, that sustains all things, the very word, is the same word that promises that all things will be accomplished according to the power of his will. He has power in his personal presence. You cannot stand in God's presence as a sinner. The power of his presence would destroy you, would destroy us, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He has power over life and death. The curse was a gracious act by God of death, but it's also our great enemy, right? And what does it say about the Lord Jesus Christ? What does Scripture say? What is the, one of the best parts of the good news of the Gospel? Power, the power of death could not hold Him. Because He's the one that has power over it. Just right before that, how do we know Jesus Christ has the power over life and death? Not just by His resurrection. He had a homie that passed away and all his friends were really upset that he didn't show up earlier and heal him. Lazarus, what did he do? What did he say? Lazarus, come forth. And I like what some theologians say. They say if he would have just said, come forth, everyone who had ever died uh, in the world's history would have risen from the dead. And there it is, the resurrection from the dead. Jesus has power over death. You guys know the valley of the dry bones, right? God can raise people to newness of life by, by spoken command. He doesn't, that's one of the most amazing um, comparisons if you study, like, for instance, the Babylonian Enuma Elish uh, creation accounts, ancient, ancient creation accounts. The gods are always limited in some way, and they're always working, and they have to create other things like people to get them to work for them and to do their will. God just speaks it, and it is. He speaks it, and it just is. It just happens. There's nothing that can resist the will of God. He has power in judgment. He has the right and authority over the power of judgment. He calls all things into an account. He has power in salvation. His power in the lives of his people. And he has the power to complete and fulfill and uphold his promise. Okay? I like what Stephen Sharnock says. You guys know I'm going to quote Sharnock every time I'm up here. I love Sharnock. Okay? The gospel is the power of God in the way of instrumentality. But the almightiness of God is the principle in the way of efficiency. Let me read that. Okay? The power of God, the gospel is the power of God in the way of instrumentality. So it's, it's in what we're doing and saying, okay? But think about this. The almightiness of God is the principle in the way of efficiency. It's the almightiness of God that makes it efficient. It's not us. It's not our actions. That should be a, high, a good relief for you today. I know it is for me. The gospel, as he goes on to say, is the scepter of Christ. You know, the scepter, the, the, the rod of the, the ruling authority, the, 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 um, the symbol of authority, right? The scepter. The gospel is the scepter of Christ, but the power of Christ is the mover of that scepter. Think about that. You come in the authority of the king when you call people to an account. When you call people an account to his word, you come in the authority of the king. You bear, it, as it were, as God's image bearer, his, his priest, in the authority of the high priest, in the authority of the king, you bear his authority. But it's the power of Christ that moves that scepter. The gospel is not a mere bare word spoken, he says, and proposing a thing. But it is backed with the higher efficiency of grace as the sword instrumentally cuts. 
but the arm is the one that wields it and gives it the blow and makes it successful in its stroke, right? You're the instrument in God's hands, but it's him that does it, not us. The gospel is the power of God, Sharna concludes, because he edges it by his own power to surmount all resistance and vanquish the greatest malice that man he designs to work upon. I love that. No matter what man says, you tell people this, no matter what you say, no matter the resistance that you bring forth, whatever strong argument you may have can be destroyed by the wisdom of Christ. It's God's wisdom, not ours, that we stand upon. Right? And if, you, if you're interested in studying more on that, that's a discourse upon the power of God uh, directly from quoting from Job 26.14 in Sharnock's Complete Works. So let's take a brief moment here and just look at some of the critical facets of God's power to consider as it relates to the gospel. Okay? God, again, has the power to fulfill his will, but where do we find that in Scripture as it relates to his power and the gospel? Well, Romans 8, Paul says later on, and, and by the way, if you guys did your homework assignment, you read Romans 1 through 11, this will be a refresher for you and it will be an encouragement to you. And if you're at Sunday school, you get the double blessing because Andrew's word on, on the word today was incredible. Thank you again. Um, think about this. Okay, what does Paul say about the word of God and the will of God as it relates to that and him accomplishing his will? In Romans 8.30, he says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We refer to that as the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. This is God's doing and it's God's work, folks. He uses you, the church, as an instrument, but it's his power, the power of his will, the power of his purpose to fulfill it. We just get to be a part of it. Uh, I've often heard the, or I've heard one time, I think it was Mark that shared this. He was, think of it like, you know, uh, hey, any kids out there, have you ever mowed the lawn with your parents, your dad or your mom? Anybody mowed the lawn? You know what it looked like a lot like? The kids on the little bar in the middle, the little brace bar. Dad's pushing the lawnmower. Mom's pushing the lawnmower, right? And the kid's just kind of hanging on to that little crossbar in the bottom, you know? It's a lot like that. We're involved in it. We're doing it, but it's God who's doing the work. We're involved. But we can't take the credit for it. It was really mom or dad that was mowing the lawn that made it happen, right? But what, what do we tell our friends? I mowed the lawn today, <laughs> right? I mowed that lawn. We were so excited to get behind that thing and do it. Secondly, the power of God's word for apologetics stands upon the truth of God's word despite the outcome. Really important. Let me read this again. One of the edges of the sword of the word of God is apologetics. The other edge is sanctification. They both accomplish the same purpose, one in the life of unbelief and one in the life of belief and sanctification, of growing in the knowledge of Christ. The word of God is a double-edged sword, right? One of those edges is apologetics. And it's powerful for apologetics, God's word is, because we stand on the truth of God's word despite the outcome. As, as uh, Andrew shared this morning, we, we eat, you know, uh, John was told to take the scroll. Ezekiel was told to take the scroll. And the scroll would be sweetness to his mouth, but bitterness in his stomach. When he went out, he knew that what he was standing on was the word and was true. But what would happen as an outcome of that of that standing firm in the truth when it came to rebellious Israel. And now when it comes to the gospel going out in power to both Gentiles and Jews worldwide, what would that look like? It'd be bitterness to us, right? But we are supposed to stand despite the outcome. We don't God is the one who is in control of the outcome. We know the passages, don't we? 
I watered, someone else, or I planted, someone else watered, and what? It was God who gave the increase. So as we shared this morning, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise and where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. So ask yourself the hard question. If God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise, this is something Greg Bonson brings up in this lecture series. What should that look like? If you're standing, if Christ truly is uh, the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, if really, as the Proverbs say in Proverbs 1-7, that fools, you know, those who say uh, there is no God, they're fools, right? A fool says there is no God. They despise wisdom. A fool says in his heart there is no God. That should be pretty evident in the life of an unbeliever, shouldn't it? If, if, you, if you want to understand the truth of God's word, let's say, okay, God's the creator of all things. He sustains all things by the word of his power, right? We believe that. But that should be evident in creation. Doesn't Psalm 19 say that the heavens d- declare the glory of the Lord? That it's a pouring out knowledge constantly ever before us. Paul, Paul quotes that in Romans 1 later. Uh, he says, right, the, the, it's so obvious to unbelievers. They know it and they have to suppress that truth and unrighteousness. How is that obvious? Can you today say, when I stand upon God's word, that is so obvious that I can prove it to an unbeliever. So much to the case where they have to suppress that truth by defending their own sin their own unrighteousness. That's how obvious the word of God is his word and it's powerful for striking down strongholds. You ready? For we, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, walk in the flesh, but we're not waging our war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but what? Have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is the power of the word of God. When you go out, and Rob and I spent, what, two and a half hours yesterday talking to a gentleman. You see it, you see it is so evident, wasn't it, Rob? It was so evident. I mean, I was like losing it. I'm like taking my hat off. I'm like, Whoa. I had to pace around a bit. I'm like, this is really tough. This gentleman says, and I quote, we cannot possess objective knowledge. We cannot come to understanding and knowing truth objectively. What might be the problem with that claim? That is objectively true. Is it objectively true that you cannot know truth objectively? You seem to have objectively figured that one out, right? And it's not a joke. That's a serious, that's a serious refutation. That's a self-refuting statement. Now, I said this to the person, and he says, no, every truth is really what we come up personally, okay? It's subjective to us. And I say, okay, fair enough. You do realize, though, that you're counter-protesting us today. And he said, yeah. I go, you don't see the contradiction there. Why? You realize that the moment that you tell me I'm wrong, that you moved beyond your own personal experience, you're appealing to some universal standard of right and wrongness, and you're saying that what I'm doing is wrong, and at the same breath saying we're not allowed to judge people. And you're quoting Scripture to do it. You don't see the foolishness in that? He's like, no, man, that's ridiculous. No, no, listen. Yes, and he, and he said it over and over, right? Rob, he said, listen, no, no, no. And he's a really patient man, and I'm can't wait to share these videos. He said, um, no, no, it, it is our truth. Like, we, we all come to the truth, and we really should, we don't have the right to, like, impose our values on other people. And I said, 
then why are you here counter-protesting us? You are doing that to me right now. You are imposing your views on me. You're telling me I'm wrong. And then in the same breath saying, but really all of our truths are private. The moment you move beyond yourself, listen, people, listen. The moment you move beyond yourself and you say, listen, everything is just kind of, I do what I do, you do what you do, and everything's all good, right? The moment you say, you're wrong, you've moved beyond yourself as a subjective standard. Having no right to impose your views on other people. Does that make sense? What does Paul say? We have the divine power to destroy strongholds. What are those strongholds? Arguments in every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Where's the knowledge of God come from? His word. That needs to be razor sharp in your heart. Not only working in you to sanctify you, to draw you closer to the image of your Savior, but also as you stand firmly in it and you engage with the world around you in His knowledge so that you can destroy all strongholds in the power of God. It's not you that do it. Again, it's the power of God, the Almighty God that attends to it. The same creative power, everything we discussed earlier. Next, we have the power of God's word for, as Paul says, salvation, which I believe is the calling. The power of God's word for salvation is, in fact, the calling. Paul asks the hard question. He asks the rhetorical question in Romans 10. He says, how then will they call on them whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. Quoting Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So then, Paul concludes, faith then comes by hearing. And hearing that through the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. By hearing the word of Christ. And as we know, it's shared in Acts. Faith is a gift of God. And faith, it's also shared in Ephesians 2. You quoted Ephesians 2 in your prayer this morning. It's a gift of God. It's something given to us. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. God who is faithful while he is yet rich in mercy raised us up in Christ. It's nothing that you can boast in. But it's a gift of God. A faith that he has given you. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23-25 he says, Since you have been born again, I love this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And he says, For all is flesh like grass, and all the glory of the flower of the grass. Grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. It's by this word you were saved. You're born again by the seed, imperishable seed. This is what was brought to you. This is what wrought your faith as it was declared to you. It doesn't fade. God's word remains. And it's this word that was preached to you. Zeke brought up yesterday all of the possibilities of the word of God being destroyed and corrupted. and We can't really know what's the truth. And ultimately, we'll figure out what the truth is one day when we go to heaven. Response. How do you know that, Zeke? Who told you that? And I went, amen. Well, thanks, Zeke. You just destroyed Christianity. You just destroyed all possibility of knowing the truth. I guess I'll just pack everything up today and go home. I sure, sure, definitely shouldn't be a pastor anymore because obviously this is all corrupted. So, man, thanks, bro. It looks like I'm going to go find a new job. And he went, no, 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 no. We're all kind of arriving, you know, and I'm sure like you do a great job in guiding your people and stuff. I go, no, Zeke, what you just told me is I don't have the truth available to me, Zeke, and it doesn't matter. Zeke comes up with Zeke's truth and I come up with mine and Rob comes up with his and Lise comes up with hers and Aaron, off we go. 
And we have nothing anymore. Thanks, bro. Eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. I can't really know what the truth is. We can't. So what you know is, what you know is crazy, Zeke, is you can know what the truth is. What does Jesus say about being his disciples? You are a true disciple if what? John 8. You believe my word and you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? It'll set you free. Zeke, is God a liar? Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune Godhead. Was he lying? Oh, by the way, Jesus Christ is the word in flesh. That's what John says in John chapter 1. And he says all throughout his word that it won't fail, that it can't fail. Matter of fact, Jesus said every jot and tittle will pass, despite what man wants to do to corrupt it. So Zeke, let me ask you the hard question, bud. Do you believe that we have a creator that spoke all things by his word into existence? Zeke said, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure, maybe. Okay, cool. Well, let me, let's, let's just say, let's take, for example, the biblical God as, as a biblical God is described. What does he say about himself, Zeke? He spoke all things into existence, right? Biblical God, that's what he did. I know maybe you don't believe him, but let's, let's just say for a brief moment, you held to this that it was true. The very God who sustains all things by the word of his power. Same God. He promises that those, those words will remain, despite what man's corruption will be. Yes. Is the same God who does all those things fully capable of, of sustaining his word, Zeke? Like, even when like, people really try to like, mess it up, like not hand it down correctly, even try to intentionally, like as a scribal, not doing scribal errors, but like changing what it says. Roman Catholics, right? Like changing it, change the whole theology of it, like add to it so I can just kind of make my theology a bit more robust. Mormons, Muslims. Like, like, come to you and say, no, 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 no. Like, there's some stuff in the Bible that might have not been correct. Or we need more revelation to really understand who the true God really is. And he has some words for us now. And I know that says, I know what this says, but no, no, there's more to it. And unless you know it, Gnostics, then you won't possess the truth and you're not saved. You're telling me that all that can happen. You're, you're saying, man in his corrupt path and his desire to not transmit the word, to intentionally go out of his way, to stifle the promises of God, where he promises that he will sustain his word, you think he's capable of doing that. Fallible men, mere creatures, that, by the way, he sustains with his word. Zeke went, well, I have to think about that. Yeah, you need to probably take a second look at who God is, right? God is fully capable. It says that he is the one that inspires his word. He is the one that sustains it. That is an offense, as I shared last week, to the Holy Spirit to suggest that he is incapable of sustaining his word. The very one that God, the third person of the triune Godhead, sustains and inspired and is profitable, as Andrew quoted this morning from 2 Timothy, for reproof, correction, the building up of the godly man. It's no longer profitable for that if we believe that, right? So we're either going to hold to that and stand firm on that or not. Hold to God's wisdom and knowledge or not. And, and let me tell you this right now. You stand firm on the word and you begin to challenge. Listen, don't defend, if, as it were, don't defend biblical Christianity to a person who completely rejects it. That's not your job. Your job is to cast down all arguments in the wisdom of Christ and allow them to wrestle with the sword of God's word. Oh, I hear what you're saying, but what I'm looking at is your feet, and I'm just wondering where you're coming from. If anybody been on Facebook lately and seen some of my posts, one of my neighbors, Brandon Brown, makes it his personal job to destroy me every chance he gets. What does he attack? He attacks the word of God. What do I attack? Hey, Brandon, I'm hearing what you say, bro. I got it. You're totally. I know you're not a Christian. You're total atheist. What do I attack? Hey, Brandon. And Greg, Greg jumped in on there. He tagged team. Greg's like, all right, bro. 
Greg comes off the ropes, right? What does Greg ask him? Because Greg sees what I'm doing. What does Greg see what I'm doing? Brandon, I hear what you're saying. I know you despise Christianity. I know you think the Bible is full of immoral things, that God is an immoral God. You think he's a monster, that he allows things like rape and destruction of, of people groups, that, you know, all these things that people typically commonly respond. What do I respond with? Hey, Brandon, that's really neat, bro. Good story. Uh, you're an atheist, right? You believe that we evolved from, what, a rocky, soupy substance billions of years ago, right? I mean, that's what you believe. We're not going to go into this right now. Oh, no, 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 Brandon, we're going to go into this right now. Why? Because I want to understand what you're critiquing Scripture from. What is your perspective of reality? And what's really interesting to me, Brandon, is that you never answer that question. You know what he does, guys? Anybody who's seen it, what does he do? Greg, what do he do? He ran away. All right, we're done here. The minute I say, Brandon, fair enough. Hey, listen, Brandon, you come onto this Facebook page. You know, I post stuff. I posted stuff about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and other things. And I said, listen, Brandon, or, or it was the Biden administration making an executive order to codify um, abortion, to federally protect abortion. So I said, it, he does, he's not allowed to do that. Biden's not allowed to make himself the judge or the legislative branch, completely overrule and overthrow everything that they're doing and just make it laws on his own. He's an executive branch. He's there to enforce them, not make them, nor make judgments about them. And he called us extremists for wanting to uphold life. Brandon responds to that. Oh, look how immoral the Bible is. Oh, Bran uh, Brandon, Brandon, you don't get morality. You're an atheist. You have no foundation for morality. You can't call anything immoral. Now, now we're stuck. Why can't Brandon call anything immoral? He believes in a godless existence. He believes that he evolved from a rocky, soupy substance over billions of years, and somehow his DNA just all of a sudden became moral. He dances to the music of his own DNA, and so do I, so do you, and so does everybody else around us. Uh, so what, Brandon? You don't get to have morality from that perspective of reality. You don't get to call God evil. The fact that you're calling things evil, Brandon, means that you believe in something else besides atheism. The fact that you're incensed at the reality that people are raped, that people are killed, says to me that you really aren't an atheist. You believe in something else besides even Darwinian evolution. You think that there's some greater good that all must live by. The moment you correct me, Brandon, you have left Darwinian evolution. The moment you demand me to be consistent, Brandon, I should clip this for him. The moment you demand me to be consistent, Brandon, you need to realize DNA does not demand other DNA to be consistent, right? The result, the random result of DNA just doing what DNA does. You're, you know, people say, I'm fizzing a certain way, right? My, the chemical and my biology is doing a certain thing based on the demands of my DNA. And you're, yours is doing the same. What makes your fizz any better than mine? No, seriously. How dare you even say I'm, what I'm doing is bad? Matter of fact, give me your shoes, bro. I'm going to come over to your house and burn it down, right? doesn't matter. You can't say I'm wrong because you're weird for saying I'm wrong. If you're being consistent, and what's interesting is they don't make that connection. They don't see the flaws in that. They're like, oh, you're so dumb. And then they bag on you. They make fun of you is what Brandon does. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to rally the people around. Like, look how dumb Jeremy is. He doesn't think rape is wrong. Look how, look how ignorant Jeremy is. He doesn't see all the immorality in the Bible. Look at all this. And you know what all of his other homies say? They're like, yeah, yeah, like Brandon, like. But what they don't realize is, wait a minute, you don't get to have morality as an atheist. So why are you demanding I be moral? You don't get rationality either as an atheist, Brandon. Why? Why are you somehow appealing to something outside of yourself that's some universal law of conformity that we must adhere to in order to be consistent and rational? 
So that means, Brandon, you don't get science either. So every time you appeal to it, it's weird. It's very strange. It's very strange. So we're called, as God's people, to stand in his word and call them to an account to show the foolishness of their belief and do what? Not just bag on them and make fun of them. Not just to thrash them. Francis Schaeffer said that would be the cruelest thing to do to someone. is to destroy their worldview and then leave them there in it. No, we destroy all arguments in the wisdom of God to what? What does he say? To bring all those, the all thoughts captive to obey Christ. We should be leading them to the foot of the cross. God's creative power is also in salvation. Let's look at this. Jesus Christ, our Lord, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That's how Paul starts Romans. Again, he was declared to be the son of God in power by the resurrection of the dead. He argues that very same thing in Acts 17 before the Areopagites. How was Jesus Christ vindicated? How do you know he's the son of God? He was raised in power from the dead. And now he is appointed to judge all the nations. That's how Areopagites, the most powerful rulers in Greece, right? That's how you know. He was raised from the dead. They're like, what is this? What, what, were, they, what were they mocking? This guy, resurrection from the dead? No, 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 no. And we'll hear, what is this guy rambling about? And then some, what, what did it say? Some wanted to hear more about it. And some came to the faith. Christ's resurrection reflected in the new birth of the believer is to be justified in Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead raises us to newness of life, and this is what justifies us before the living God. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, Paul says in Colossians 2, 11-13. Putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. The other side of the edge of the sword, once you're a believer, everything's perfect and awesome, huh? Everything going super well, instant glorification, floating off the ground glowing, right? Sun is as a, you know, faces as a sun. Is that how it works? No. What's the other edge of the sword? So the apologetics, in terms of your foretelling, prophetically, to the nations, holding the nations accountable to God's word, also does what to us? It cuts two ways, doesn't it? It sanctifies us, purifies us. The power of God's word is also for sanctification. It's a necessary result of justification. The author of Hebrews describes the word of God in this way, and I bet you can all quote it. You ready? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow and discerning the thoughts of the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight. All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of God, to whom we must give an account. I love that passage. Not only is that true for us as believers, my friends, that is true for everyone. All those who bear God's image, this passage is true for. So when you know the sword of God's word, as Paul says, you need to take it up in Ephesians 6.17. It's, I think, what was it, I think Andrew said today, it's our only offensive weapon. It's the only thing that we have to fight against the wickedness of our own hearts, overcoming the, the old man, putting him to death. Uh, what does it say? Uh, be, be putting sin to death or death be killing you, right? What is, uh, it's, the, it's, it's how we grow and learn and how we are conformed to the image of our Savior. And then finally, glorification. God has the power to uphold his promises. Listen to this passage in Isaiah, one of my favorites. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways nor my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I really hope this has been an encouragement to you more than anything to recognize what I did a few years ago, which was, oh my gosh, the Lord is the Lord of salvation. (laughs) I am free in Christ. My sins have been forgiven. He is seated on the throne. And it's His authority by which He calls those to Himself. And He'll fulfill His promises. All the burden, it was like, it was like the reason I was weeping before Mark that day in such excitement. I wasn't sad. I was pumped. I was amped. I was so ready to engage the world around me. It was because I recognized finally that it wasn't about me. And it was like the burden of evangelism had been completely lifted off my shoulders. And I was eager to engage with people around me. Why? Because I wanted to honor the Lord in my life, but I wanted to see Him honored in the world around me. And then that, that moved me to where I'm at today, folks, to share this message with you. And so I pray it does the same, that it encourages your heart, that you can finally deliver yourself from the burden of, of thinking that it's you, and that you can go out in the authority of God's Word, in the power of God's Word, stop using a letter opener in evangelism, and draw the sword of the Spirit and go to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share this word that is so near and dear to my heart. A word that I know is near and dear to yours. One that we can see faithfully proclaimed throughout all of biblical history. One that that is described so carefully in Hebrews 11 about all these faithful saints who, even though did not receive the promises, many of them losing their lives and proclaiming it, looked forward to it, cherished it, and embraced it. We're excited to see the day that we live now in Christ. Lord, give us that eager to see you honored and glorified in all the world. To prophetically hold our city, our county, and our state, and our nation accountable to you. To let them know who you are. To let the people know that if they decide to rebel against you, they are merely part of the problem of evil. They will never be able to resolve it at all. Just Public justice, social justice cannot be accomplished apart from your word, the foundations of it. That healing won't happen among races. That racism won't be finally abolished, apart from your word. That the very thing that people pursue in pleasure will not be found because we know uh, outside of your word it will never be found because apart from Christ, who is life in abundance, is only death. Death in relationships, death in our thought life, death and everything. So Lord, I I pray that this word would have been a blessing to my brothers and sisters today that they recognize that truly as you concluded in the Sermon on the Mount that unless we are your disciples, we'll never be set free. Unless we are your disciples, that we will not be building our house on the rock. And when that weather comes, which it's guaranteed to, those trials will come, that we'll be like those who built our house in the sand. I pray that not be said about us, but that we would firmly stand with you despite the bitterness that may come. For that, in Jesus' name.